Now that's Back to the Future. John Williams would be so proud. He's like, yeah, you really captured the brassiness <laughs> and the arrhythmic nature of my scores. Welcome to Your Inner Child is Native podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. And I'm Damon. Damon, uh, what's your dog's name? Uh, Sunshine. <laughs> Sunshine. Childhood dog's name was Sunshine. Mine was. Do you think Abby. Indiana Jones so would have been Abby his drag Phillips. name? Is sorry. Yeah. What was your dog's name? Abby. <laughs> Just a perfect. Really, Abby Phillips like an and Sunshine Xanthopoulos. And yours is so much better. Uh, I sound like a hippie, a Greek hippie, but a hippie nonetheless. I actually met a Go woman see named Sunshine, Sunshine at I've, the I've, Sweat Lodge. I worked with a woman named Sunshine. She was a really good singer. Did she match her name? In um, that she was four million degrees. No, she was actually kind of, she was a nice person, but maybe a little dour, um, which mm. I thought was, it was odd. But, you know, she didn't pick her name. <laughs> it wasn't like a stage name. It was like her actual true. name. Um, it's a fun juxtaposition. We're watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, not Indiana Jones 1, as I am wont to call it. Although later, I think DVD releases, they releases. Oi! <laughs> Check out these DVD releases. <laughs> I think that was probably my most accurate that Australian was really accent good, that I've ever, done, I've ever done. <laughs> now you've thought about it, and show. it's never going to happen again. It's uh, Nope, don't be too self-conscious about it, Damon. Let it happen, let it happen. <laughs> For DVD nah. releases... They added Indiana Jones into the name because they were like, I don't like the juxtaposition of, at the time, these two other movies with Indiana Jones of the four, and then just some anonymous raiders at the beginning of the first one. Do you so think they, they were just, like, not, not confident in the Indiana Jones? Like People the like thing? the Philadelphia Raiders, so put them in. The Philadelphia is it, is it Raiders. The raiders? <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, is it? Uh, Who's the team? There's, well, there, there's one that are now the Las Vegas Raiders that were originally. Las Vegas. They were, they've been the Los Angeles Raiders. They've been the Oakland Raiders. Uh, you're probably thinking of my hometown, team? Wright State University Raiders. That's what probably what you're thinking of. Is there not a baseball team with Raiders? There might be somewhere in some league, but not in mm. a professional league that I'm aware of. Mm. I want to say one thing because we already did the score adeptly earlier. One of my most cherished memories of my friend Bethany, she was, I don't know what, what she was trying to do. I <laughs> she was trying to win me over with her knowledge of the Indiana Jones series. Mm -hmm. um, and so she started singing the score at me. This was in college. Good. And she, you want to sing at people. Make sure that possible. they're not engaged, that they are just, just ciphers for you to sing at. <laughs> and she started singing it and first started strong and then... <laughs> I'll just sing what she sang and see okay. see if you can catch where she goes awry. Okay. Bum ba dum bum. Right. Bum ba dum bum. That was it. I liked it that it that it took a minor minor <laughs> moment. Bum ba dum bum. 
I'm like, I don't think that's the. <laughs> you did not make song. it very far at all, Bethany. I also like, she missed my favorite part, where she's like, no, she didn't. I mean, it would have been weirder if I was just sitting there silently and she was going into different sections of the of the score, different movements. She does like the underscore when you're supposed to be doing like <laughs> exposition at the beginning of the movie. She's doing the theme to the well of the souls. I'm like, look, I've got to get to psych. I can't just sit here this entire I'm busy. That's the well of the souls song. If it's not obvious, I do like the Indiana Jones movies, but I haven't seen them probably in 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I haven't seen this And I'm one nervous in, a in this culture of, hey, you can't take people's things and put them in museums <laughs> outside of the home country. And <sighs> you can't just shoot brown people in the street, even if they're, you know, going to attack you with a, a sword. Well, I guess you can probably self-defense shoot people who are brandishing a sword at you, you know? That's, I mean, that's, that's the main thing I'm, I'm worried about with these movies is the sort of inappropriateness uh, as we go back to it, because I loved Indiana Jones, especially... I mean, my favorite, not to give it away, has always been the third one, uh, The Last Crusade. That's Crusade also because it came up when, you know, that came, that, I think I actually saw that one in the theaters and the other two I was, right. this one I was, came out in 1981, I wasn't even born yet, but like it was, it was definitely around and then Temple of Doom, I don't I think I was probably too young to have seen it in the theaters or remember it, but I definitely had seen it because it was so much later, The Last Crusade has always been like my one and then you go back and watch the other ones but i don't think there's a whole host of things like the very idea of an archaeologist yeah going to different companies like uh countries like you said and going taking this their thing shit that you have from your country belongs in a museum which is like my museum time, specifically <laughs> yeah was supposed to be this like noble thing and he isn't it's not so much that he's saying it doesn't belong with the indigenous people. He's saying it doesn't belong with these people who are going to sell it for the to the highest bidder or something. But still, or to it's Nazis a little... who are going to use it as some sort of paranormal tool to take over the world. Right. I think that's how they sidestep it a little bit. Is like, yeah. look, we're not we're not taking it. We're just trying to have Nazis not have it. Right. <laughs> Pulling the old switcheroo on some white supremacists. A tale so, as old as time. Can you bring the, a little bit of your uh, Bible knowledge into this? Is this <laughs> does the Bible mention how the lost ark of the covenant melts faces like a like an Eric Clapton no. solo? I don't. I think it's kind of uh, up to interpretation, depending on which uh, version of the Bible are you reading. The Latin. I want the one Vulgate. that melts faces. Are you looking at the Greek? Are you looking Is at the King original James? Hebrew? The original Hebrew said that it would give you a nice tan, but if you translate that into Latin and then translate that into <laughs> Greek, it comes out as melts faces off. Um, right. So I can see where the confusion came from. Sure, that makes sense. It's it's all in the language. Were you a big Indiana Jones? person like did you watch a lot yeah remember bethany was singing theme at me to win me over to charm me i'm talking about like when you were a little kid i do like uh indiana jones a lot i think because i wasn't as into star wars at least as a kid like i i remember i have memories of like watching temple of doom on tape and then mom renting last crusade seemingly every weekend it felt like <laughs> yeah. like we rented it a lot we like and it it wasn't until the 90s or maybe 2000s where i was like i'm going to buy 
DVD copies of these so we can have them and stop bothering the people at It's Showtime Video, Mother. I remember my dad actually, I was actually, I'm going to save that for the third one because that's specific to the third one. I like that he was like uh, an intellectual, a semi, you know, an academic, you know, professor, Dr. Jones, you call him Dr. Jones. And I also liked... One of the things I liked about Indiana Jones is that he doesn't necessarily fight fair. He will throw sand in your face if they will get you to stop punching him in the stomach. And I can respect that as a person who doesn't know how to fight fair. I can only fight for survival, maybe. Maybe. That's why I keep my <laughs> fingernails a little long. Just in case there's ever, you know, a fascist yeah, who wants comes to, to a scrap. murder me. Yeah. Speaking of fascists, do you remember when we just kind of all agreed that it was bad to be a Nazi? Uh, I thought we just... had agreed upon it. I thought we had come to an understanding, except for like a, a handful of people out in Montana. But now it seems sure. to be uh, open for debate again. I'm going to stand firm with my original dislike of them. So. Hey, 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 don't get political. Don't <laughs> don't make it super political. Well, if you keep calling me a Nazi, I'm going to have to just <laughs> be a Nazi. That's my favorite logic. Anyway. Guess so... I gotcha. I guess <laughs> I own one... those libs. Is this the one where he just there? Somebody comes up and fight, or is that in Temple of Doom where he just shoots them? In this one, in the second one, he can't right. Like so, the guy comes up and he's got does all this sword fight. I'm trying to think of things that I remember from. Yes, this one has uh, he. There's a whole street scene where they're being chased, and at the end of it, he's encountered by like this guy who's brandishing this huge scimitar that's like the size of my body, and uh, Indiana Jones just shoots him. Not a fair fighter. Again, I can't stress enough. He's not a fair fighter. When the lore of- I believe of there's, the, a, there's a behind the scenes story where yeah. uh, Harrison Ford had Giardia or, or a stomach virus and was just like, look, I'm not going to fight. do a whole fight scene with this guy. I'm just going to shoot him. Thanks, Steven. Bye. I'll be in my trailer shitting my brains out. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know if that's you know 100% true, but I like it. I like that as a story. Apocryphal, to bring it back to the Bible. Oh, holy! I think what's interesting about this is that it's a very specific reference to like movies that we did not grow up with. It's Spielberg and Lucas referencing something from their own childhood, these Republic serials and Treasure of the Sierra Madre with Charlton Heston, where these like guys would go out hunting for treasure. It's a very much a throwback to something I can't relate to. So now when I see adventure movies now, to me, it's a throwback to this, which oftentimes, honestly, they are. But I think they do a good job of like, this is, I mean, I feel like going into this, I'm just going to be constantly thinking of the landscape we're in now in movie business where everyone's just like, we got to resuscitate this IP, this brand, this franchise where everyone talks like that. And instead of doing what we do now, it's just like, well, who can we cast as Indiana Jones and to make the next three disappointing Indiana Jones movies going forward, or will Indiana Jones Jr. or Mrs. Indiana Jones, and we'll just make those going forward. And and what Steven Spielberg did, and I wish we could get back to this mindset, was like, I liked these things when I was a kid, so I'm going to make a direct homage to those things, but make it my own so I don't have all the fucking baggage of Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And George Lucas is like, I don't have all the baggage of, you know, Kurosawa movies and samurai movies and, you know, Flash Gordon. I can do my own thing. And where we're in the same mindset, but instead of coming up with our own thing, now I'm just getting grumpy. You know what? I'm just... 
You well, got it's me just on like, the train track and I'm just like cruising down conversations I've already had alone in my kitchen, <laughs> pretending I'm being interviewed by someone. But well, it's like, see, just come up you with see, your own George, thing. You're never, you're never going to enjoy the latest Star Wars as much as you did the first Star Wars. You're not going to get that high you're, again. Because you're Make a child. something new and you'll right. get excited about it again. But if you keep making another Star Wars, I come to Star Wars for something different than you come to Star Wars with, which right. 30 million other people come to Star Wars for 30 million other reasons. We don't right. have to keep remaking Star Wars and I have to listen to all these white boys on Twitter be like, this is why this one sucks. And I'm like, I kind of liked it. Or I'll be, or more usually I'm like, it did suck, but not for the reasons you say it's these other reasons. Yeah. But for I these think others, the, not misogynist reasons it sucked. Well, and there's like, there's always been that sort of art versus commerce fight, right? Especially in Hollywood, it's a very big business and, but it's more corporatized where they're like, if I make an Indiana Jones movie, I've got like built in. It's not a guarantee, but it is a step ahead of something brand new. Like right. If I hear that music in a trailer, yeah. I'm just going to be yeah. immediately like, well, this is going to suck, but I'm probably going to see it because I am a stupid idiot. Well, and it's the I mean, same, but it's the same part of that is we have talked about this and we are doing an entire podcast about it. But like, <laughs> our generation is so We're obsessed best. with it. We're not the best uh, missionaries on this point right. where we completely rehash old things. I'm like, why does everyone keep remaking this stuff again? <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's we're look so at Indiana Jones 4. We're so obsessed with ourselves. Like we want to <laughs> like, there's something comforting to that and something, there's something not innately problematic about it. But when that's all it is, it's just like a snake eating its own tail over and over again, where you're just like, just make something. And then when someone does something fresh, something new, it is so much more refreshing because you're just breaking out of that cycle, but it's very few and far between and really hard to get made. You know, even and then they make six of those that new. And then, yeah, they're gonna beat that to death. But anyway, we're gonna watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, starring who's even in this? What's the guy's name? (laughs) Johnny points uh, a lot. Steve Smith. Um, Steve Smith, he's great in it. Yeah, we got Harrison Ford. We got um, Karen Allen, everyone's favorite. Yeah, the original love interest. The orig, the orig Bond girl. We got creepy McHand face, is, the uh, Vichy Nazi sympathizer. Uh, all the, all your one? favorites. Who is Gimli in this one, or is he? Come Gimli later? is in this one. He's in. He's okay. in the odd numbered. He's in the odd numbered Indiana okay. Jones movies. Okay, them's uh, the rules. That it makes sense. It's We're gonna simple watch math. Right of the Lost Ark. We'll be right back. Damon, you're a no-nonsense guy. Indiana Jones is a no-nonsense adventurer. We're going to have a no-nonsense Patreon commercial. If you'd like to support the show- I feel like I'm show, mostly nonsense. I feel like Indiana Jones is kind of a lot of nonsense, too. But There's this some is, nonsense. This is a no-nonsense nonsense. commercial. There's nonsense. Patreon.com slash idiot. You can become a supporter of the show and get your name written in the credits. You can get your name written in the written credits. You can get special bonus episodes. I think we've got, I don't know, eight of them currently? I don't know. We're going to do more. Coming up soon, we're going to do, in September, we're going to do start the live stream of the Rings of Power, which can only be for patrons. We'd love to hear from our patrons. <laughs> which can mess- only be for patrons, as destined <laughs> by a rock we found. It can only be for patrons. <laughs> we love hearing from and our patrons. And the Lord spake. Jesus it Christ. shall only be for remember patrons. The, remember when I said this had to be short? Do you remember no that nonsense. before? No nonsense, I believe, was the term. 
<laughs> we love hearing from our patrons. We have a short message from John Day, so we'd like to play that for you now. Thanks for leaving a message, John. Hey, this is Jonathan Day. You can call me John. Uh, thank you for doing the Teenage Mutant Turtle 2 episode. I did just listen to that, and I appreciated it. First of all, I always liked Leonardo as a kid, so I had that going for me, and also Donatello, so I agree with you on that. No, I'm not going to make you watch Teenage Mutant Turtle 3, Turtles in Time. It's a horrible movie, and I agree with you on that. I do have really good memories of Secrets of the Ooze, and this is like the hard part for me listening to this podcast because uh, I, I do love it. And it was like, oh, but apparently my inner child is an idiot in that regard. I do have to say, as a, I work as a scientist, uh, when I dispose of samples, I just look at them like bottles of things, and I'm just like, disposed, 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 which apparently comes from this movie. So yeah, like DJ, I do have good memories of this movie, uh, but then watching it as an adult, yeah, it's not the best. Anyway, keep up the good work. Have fun. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you, Jonathan. John, if I may, and it sounds like I may. We he goes by it. both. We probably will watch TMNT 3 at some point. Eventually, we're going to start scraping real, like the bottom of the barrel under this current barrel we're in. So TMNT 3 is probably still in the running. Don't try and hide, John. Don't try and hide. Going Feel to feudal Japan <laughs> sooner or later. We're all going to feudal Japan eventually. You know, since we recorded that episode, DJ, David Warner, the character who plays scientist, passed away. He did. He himself he did. He was disposed. To, he went to the great pepperoni heaven in the sky. <laughs> I had the joke lined up. Locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. I, it looks I like. couldn't get through it. Couldn't get through it. Because it was so disrespectful of a recently deceased man. That's why. Probably his wife and kids. Maybe even grandkids. He was only 80. Did you? Were you surprised by the fact that David Warner was only 80? He's, uh, yeah. He he's like... got Olympia Dukakis syndrome, where it feels like he's been old for, yeah. for thousands of years. But there's, apparently he was just 80. There's people that hover in that sort of like 60s and 70s look for a good 40 years, which doesn't seem possible. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was very thrown off by Steve Martin. That he just yes, seemed to be. the hair. The hair just completely... I have hair blindness. And <laughs> when uh, Steve Martin had his white hair as a kid, I was just like, how is he not dead yet? It's been at least 10 years, I said as a child about a man. I didn't know. How is he not dead yet? And we are back. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, we sure did. We had such a swashbuckling adventure with our friend Indiana Jones. Whip buckling? Is swashbuckling uh, only for pirates? I think this is swashbuckling. This I feel I think like swashbuckling is, a... is re reserved for pirates, but I would say that daring had been done. You know, daring do. He did the do past daring. tense of daring do, yeah. daring done. So I would we, say there's that. What else would be? There were thrills, chills, some spills. Yeah, some spills. I'll tell you what. I'm going to recap this one because I want you to recap the next one to both Dune. So uh -huh. there's a, a very uh -huh. <laughs> Indiana Jones is a adventurous archaeologist like they mostly are and is Definitely. tasked with helping to find the long lost Ark of the Covenant and trying to get it before the Nazis do. He doesn't really, time. but then the Ark melts <laughs> the Nazis' faces and the Ark of the Covenant is lost to some military installation where it's guarded by top men top men did you recognize a top, top. men did you recognize okay. that guy 
Wait, the mustache Biggs. guy? Yeah, Biggs from Star Wars. He gets blowed up. Oh. I think it's Biggs. I remember his name is... Oh, it's like for a larger fellow. Right? I was Isn't like, it? yeah, <laughs> it's it's a little offensive. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's not Biggs. That's too straightforward. It's it's, but that's who that guy is. Oh, I didn't make that recognition. But that's basically the plot of Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's there's lots in there. There's I do lots. appreciate that you mentioned that Indiana Jones pretty much just fails throughout and just get, kind of gets a mulligan from Yahweh at the end, where it's like, all right, you survived, so I guess you get the Ark now. As of this decade, the new take is that he didn't affect the story. And I think we should get to that, but let's, oh, let's is that get true? to that. Yeah, that's a, that's a new take this. on it. Or new, newer, I guess. He could have just um, sat at home and the Nazis still would have burned their faces off. That's, I guess, what some people are. are. Except Marion would probably be dead. Yeah, that's okay. Let's just talk about it. So I, that's what I think. I think like, <laughs> so he did... Eventually, if we say where it ended up is good, which arguable either way, I, it wouldn't have happened if without Indiana Jones interference because there would have been no one there to like recover it. It would have been lost. True. And they the also Nazis never would, never would have found it. They never would have found it. Um, so if we think that where it was at the beginning of the story is better, then yes, Indiana Jones made things actively worse. But it depends on like you know the, this eight movie from nineteen eighty one would like you to think where it belong, where it is now in a giant warehouse lost <laughs> amongst other colonialized stolen treasures. Uh, <laughs> if we think that that is good, sure. Well, I mean, he would have not found. Maybe this is what you were saying, but he would have not. He would have. They would, the Nazis would not have found it, but we'd still have the same amount of Nazis as we did at the beginning of this story. True. So we lost some Nazis, which yes. I think we can all agree is always a net good when you lose even a fraction of the Nazis. Now, when you say we can all agree, I think, I don't know about that, but I, I, I wish here, that we were in a time where we could all agree. <laughs> everyone here in this mm -hmm. two-person mm -hmm. recording can agree. <laughs> we're both pro-dead Nazis. <laughs> Yeah. So I do agree that because they probably would have still followed, they, they would have followed the instructions to find Marionette in Nepal. Or where is, where is she at the beginning? She's in Nepal. She's in right? Nepal, yeah. Um, so they would have found her and probably killed her. They didn't seem so, too, uh, too keen on negotiations with her. Yeah. So there's that. There's a net positive there. Marion alive. Nazis dead. <laughs> Ark in the possession of the. British intelligence, I guess. British intelligence. Is it American intelligence? Yeah. Okay. USA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if he hadn't gotten involved, it would still be. Uh, yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying, but, but we wouldn't have had all the, you know, the, the excitement. Yeah. All the, some hijinks, some punched, a Nazi went through a propeller blade. That's kind of fun. We did. Huh? We would have had not near as much daring done. <laughs> we got problematic uh <laughs> portrayal by alfred molina in his debut role right off the bat um his first gonna, movie role yeah we're gonna get right into the stereotypes at the very beginning okay indiana jones this movie raise mm -hmm. the it's a classic movie and it's gonna be hard for me as someone who mm -hmm. loved it growing up not to give it maybe too many passes also, this movie, as we mentioned in the intro, is also paying homage to many movies from even further in the past. And so it's like 
double stereotyping where it's like, it's just fine that we're just taking <laughs> sacred items from these people and they're mad and they're like shooting darts at us. What a bunch of dicks. Well, <laughs> why mean, are these Hovitos start trying to stop me from stealing their things? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it's kind of a little bit a uh, gray area because arguably he's taking it so that this worse guy doesn't take it. But that seems like damning with faint praise a little bit. Are you talking about the Ark of the Covenant? Or are you still talking about the Hovitos, I'm, I'm tr- you know, uh, relic? The relic because, at the beginning uh, of the movie is what I'm talking about right now. Yeah, because that just seems like for his own, um, he's just sort of racing against, because we even hear about Forrestal, this this archaeologist that we find the body of, you know, in the temple, was also looking for the same relic. So it sounds like a lot of people have tried to get this item, and there's not a much, you know, moral, I mean, there's not like an ethical like, oh, I have to get this before Belloc does. It's just like, I'm just doing it for my own glorification. Well, the, the whole, that's the whole Indiana Jones ethos, right? Is like, it belongs in a museum. And the the other half of that sentence is, and not in the hands of someone who's going to sell it to the highest bidder or have it for a private collection. But right. it's never even con- in consideration that it belongs with the people <laughs> whose sacred item it is. It's not right. even, it's not even because they're non-entities. They're basically foils for this adventure. It's automatically bad. Like there's just yes. no, because there's no consideration of like, I mean, there's there's some kind of like half-hearted sentences about like, wait till they find out how bad Belloc is or whatever. Like he doesn't blame them because they don't know that he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, but also. <laughs> you're <laughs> both stealing their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm a little torn because I mean, one, it's that larger conversation about museums has become much more, you know, mainstream uh, nowadays. Yes, Not that right. no one was having those conversations at the time. And I think there is part of it that because these movies are paying an homage to these old 30s movies, it does, I feel like there is progress in that there are characters that we encounter. For example, Sala in this adventure, who yeah. is an Egyptian portrayed by a Welsh guy. And mm. So we do sort of get a perspective of an Egyptian, but it's not ideal. It's not good. It's not good. Because, right. again, Sala is portrayed by a Welsh guy. Alfred Molina, another English guy, portraying a South American of some sort, presumably. He has an accent. Mm-hmm. And also it's, he's, he's like, immediately betrays Indy. Like, you know, it's... Yeah. Right, exactly. And, well, I, there's also... I've also, I'm not confused, but you know, he has two assistants with him during his intro. And I do want to talk about the intro in general, but I think this is important to talk about. He has two assistants at the beginning and one draws a gun at one point. And I think in retrospect, we're supposed to realize he's drawing a gun on Alfred Molina's character, who is the backstabber. But he could be drawing a gun on, they could both be backstabbers for all we know. Yeah, it's, uh, as we get into Egypt later on, it is mitigated a little bit by Salah, but- He's literally the only Egyptian we talk to. Everyone else is, again, these sort of just foils at best. Yeah. Sometimes just, you know, anonymous diggers for to be, you know, sort of pawns between Indiana Jones and the Nazis. It's not great. Yeah, right. Um, this whole, do you want to talk about this whole opening scene? 
I do. After we just talked about how racist this movie can be, I really like this introduction. I know. This this is the whole this is the whole thing. You have to hold both of these things in your head at the same time because it, it is it is there are many problems with it and if a person of color like came to this and was like Hey, you know, this is really fucked up. Um, I would be like, yep. And then I'd be also like, did you see the thing where he runs away from the boulder? Because that's fun. <laughs> you know, like it's, bo- it's both. It can be both. And I, right. and I think you can like acknowledge the – this is the, the trouble people have, right? Like we're, it sounds like we're shitting on the movie and it's not that we're not because we are. But also like right. – God damn, it's a lot of fun to watch him use his whip to jump across a pit, you know? like it's- And also to those people who get angry um, when we are uh, shitting on these specific aspects of the movie, like, welcome to the 21st century. Like, yeah. sometimes the things you liked as kids can still be good, but you have to recognize that there are flaws like this. And if you don't, I probably don't want to have much of a conversation with you if you can't well, have these conversations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but this is possibly one of the best character introductions in a, I was about to say modern movie, I'll say semi-modern movie now, um, no, since it is, you know, really. <laughs> it's vintage. coming up on its 40th birthday fairly soon. I it's passed, my friend. Is it's it? Oh, it's 81, isn't 81, it? yeah. Yeah, okay, so it is It is. And we all uh, know things from 81 old. are just old beyond belief. Am I right, Dan? <laughs> Shut the hell up! <laughs> <laughs> It is. I mean, we uh, the movie starts out. We only see Harrison Ford from behind, um, and uh, we see <laughs> him, of course, angle, in his fedora and his jacket. And we don't see his face until a few minutes in. We see Alfred Molina and the other, you know, helper. I don't know what even to call them. Assistant um, archaeologist. Yeah, with him. And they're sort of following behind him and they're seeing he's he's not saying a thing. He's encountering like clues and he like finds um, a dart in a tree and he tastes mm. it and leaves it behind saying nothing. And Alfred Molina and the other guy come up and they taste it and they're like, Hovitos, they're three days behind us or whatever. Some, you know, adventure movie nonsense. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> unreasonably expository thing about the dark. <laughs> and then, you know, the second guy pulls a gun on maybe Alfred Molina and Indiana Jones whips it out of his hand with his whip, with his iconic <laughs> whip. And it's very easy to sort of forget. I mean, Indiana Jones has been, we as we just covered, has been part, has been around as long as I have been alive. So it's very easy to sort of like forget how iconic this introduction is and how it like firmly entrenched him enough that the second movie starts with his name. They're like, you know who this fucker is. They didn't right. do that with the mummy returns. They didn't right. say Brendan F- Fraser and the adventure of the returning mummy. They had to keep calling it the mummy returns. It's just such a really good introduction. And the whole thing, I mean, we find out that he's very competent. He's very aware of his surroundings. And then when he gets to the temple, I mean, he's showing off like, you know, that he, you know, beats Forrestal and that Forrestal got tricked by that light you know, trap with that beam of sunlight. He puts his hand in it. These spikes come out. He realizes the the little stepping stones on the ground. And he's, Alfred Molina is about to run out into the the middle of the temple saying a famously stupid phrase, nothing to fear here. Never say that if you're in a movie. (laughs) Never say piece of cake, walk in the park or nothing to fear here. Don't say those things. Nothing to fear. When have I, I've never said that. <laughs> I mean, we just got past these spikes and all these tarantulas, but definitely in this room where the item is, nothing to fear here. And he's able to pick up on all these things. 
And then he gets the idol and uh, is betrayed by Alfred Molina. And then we kind of see him like in a different light that doesn't negate what we've already seen, but he kind of like is, he gets betrayed by his friend. He has that great moment that I really appreciated this time where after he's been betrayed by Malfoy Molina and he's like falling in that pit, he's like holding on to the edge of a cliff. He grabs a root the relief and he's, he smiles a little bit like, I'm going to be fine. And then the root gives a little bit yeah. and he has a really great, you know, <laughs> I feel like it just like perfectly encapsulates this character, like almost like as perfectly as you can do within like five minutes of a movie. Well, yeah, you get the... And then we find out he's afraid of snakes. After all of that, him like, yeah. he's not scared of spiders. He doesn't lose his cool around, you know, darts flying at his face. But the minute there's a snake in the Passenger seat of his seat. plane, yeah. he freaks out and the guy says, get a backbone. Like, it's so like cliche that he is afraid of snakes now, but like, that is a really great like comedy beat. And plays into the plot it's later. A foreshadowing, yeah. But my favorite thing is the the moment when that turns on a dime is like he's very competently come all this way, and then you see him like do this really smart calculation and the most famous chin scratch since oh, the yeah. thinker, where, where he <laughs> he weighs out a bag of sand and against the idol. Know, the the funny thing is like I I guess it's like. It's not lost to history because if anybody watched this movie, they understand like that fails. Like that is an absolute <laughs> failure. Wrong. Whole, yeah. Yeah, it is wrong. He gets it wrong. So I don't know if he got the weight wrong or what. It doesn't matter. Like, so all of his stuff like, and he's like, you know, cockily grabs it, you know, as, as the, the, the whole thing sinks down and the boulder gets released. Like it immediately like is like, oh shit. And then we're just on a, on a roller coaster after that. And then he gets betrayed and the boulder and the, you know, it's, it's, it's very good. And it's a fine um, line to walk. Cause he could, if you tipped in either direction, he would either like look like a doofus and it, it's to it, the movie's credit that even though he, he does essentially fail in, in like not setting off the final trap, he still looks like amazingly competent while also like approachable. And like he, I think I said in the intro, like he doesn't fall into the John McClane trap where he like becomes too competent that it is completely, you know, it keeps you at arm's length from liking him. He really does walk a very fine line of, you know, seeming like a superhuman and also completely, what's the word I'm looking for? Fallible. That's the yeah, word I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. He's, I mean, that's, I can think any good main character you you see you like want to be him or you want to you admire his qualities but also see that he's deeply flawed like not just because he he fucked up with but like as the movie goes along you see he's like kind of arrogant and kind of selfish and then he's done bad things in the past that like you know piss marion off and these piss these other people off and he's you know it's compelling i mean that's a good character right is he like you don't go like He's got a cool hat and a whip. He does. Those are cool <laughs> things, but those right. aren't character traits. Those are items that he. Well, I mean, has it is. Him. It does play into his iconography. Like I think part of it is like creating a well developed character, but also I think Spielberg was aware enough, especially like basing this off of like those old Republic serials and stuff. Of like, I want you to be able to recognize this character from like a silhouette almost, which is like right. a rule in animation and cartooning. Like, I want you to be able to recognize this character from a silhouette. And it really does work. Like, give him a few like iconic pieces of clothing, an iconic weapon, and, you know, iconic stubble. And you got it. <laughs>
<laughs> Give him that iconic stubble that you can see in, in silhouette. <laughs> if you're really close and if it's like a really high quality JPEG. I really liked the, so the, 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 um, pilot that's waiting for him on the, <laughs> on the boat is just fishing. And he like, he sees Andy like running and then the, the tribe is, is, you know, shooting darts and chasing him. He's being chased by like a hundred uh, people right. and he's yelling, start the, and he, jock, I think is his name. He, he's yeah. like, he's fishing and he like, can't quite decide what to do. Cause he's got he a has bite. something on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, I love the that whole bit is so good because of course eventually he just throws his pole away and starts the plane and they narrowly escape. But like it's just it was played really well because he's just like I can I catch this fish first? You know, like you can tell that's like do I need There's to There's a calculation going right? on. Right. It's just a good bit. It's uh, just a couple of of beats of comedy in uh I like that too. I love the comedy adventure mix, which is, you know, a classic thing to do. And I don't think it takes away from the stakes at all. Like, of course you don't necessarily think that Ann Jones is going to die, but it does feel like there are. Especially because I just got, I just started my popcorn. Like I just started, but you know, people have died already, you know, like both of his people that he came with betrayed him and died. Like now they're skeleton of another person in the thing. We've had like three on screen dead bodies at this point already <laughs> so it's like really it's racking not, them up yeah it's not like this is this whole thing is without stakes but at the same time it's just so fun and you, you start to get just little teases of the theme of the john williams theme which we really don't get until pretty far into the movie like for real and it's such oh, a nice know, yeah. moment like i guess we get a little bit of it and as they fly into the sunset at the end of the scene where is the first time it actually gets played in full I think it's not until like they get he gets on the submarine on the U-boat. Oh, really? And then you hear that's where you get like all the way. There's a ton of references to it, but that's where it's like all the way, like dun 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 dun, dun like big and you know fortissando. Like it's like fortissimo. Oh, wow. I mean, sorry, fortissimo. Of course, very strong. Make it make it sound like I said fortissimo and not fortissimo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a musician. I should get that correct. We do get uh, Tyler. I feel like he gets almost a sort of a superhero element. Like Tyler noticed when we were watching that he's almost a completely different person when he's in professor mode. He almost pulls a Clark Kent where he's a little bit like stammery and distracted. Yeah, yeah, very mumbly. I mean, you could equate this to like, this isn't his passion for archaeology. His passion is being out in the field and, you know, killing Nazis, I guess. But, you know, he has to you know, be a professor to pay the bills. I do have to hand it to him. It's nice to hear of a professor who apparently is not fucking his students, uh, despite there's the students' best efforts. I mean, unless you count the whole whatever happened with him and Marion, because technically not a student, I don't think it was. There's something untoward going on there. But oh no, like, there. I mean, I'd like to bring up. I, we can yeah. talk about the Marion thing, but in yeah. this instance, all his student, one of his students, has written "Love you" on her eyelids. One word per eyelid. Thank Ridiculous. you. Which I'm like, did you have someone else do it? But you'd okay. have to do it yourself because you'd have to be sensitive to the amount of weight you're putting on your own eyelids. I mean, you could do uh, if you can do eyeliner. You can write "Love you" on your eyelids. I guess that's true. Just got to do I've, one one eye at a time. Yeah. Do you keep the eye closed so it dries? You don't want to like have it like smear it all in your your folds. Do you think it was ballpoint? 
Well, I mean, you know, have to. I mean, I'm not a pen uh, historian. I mean, I don't know what type mm. of pens we were looking at in the 19, 1939 or 38. What is this? Do you we, know? Weren't, we weren't into Bic yet. We no, there yet. no, no. Didn't have the technology. But he is distracted by it and doesn't seem particularly interested in his students. Thank you. Thank you for your service, Dr. Jones. Was that, that was kind of weird, right? Like, why do the, just to show that he's. Handsome and I think admired. it was just, you know, hey, you joke. know who's the new hotness currently in 1981? Harrison fucking Ford. Fair enough. And Phyllis Anthopoulos would say, yes, he is. So I think it was just playing off of that, you know, why in every Marvel movie is everyone, all the men constantly shirtless? Yeah, but you don't. Yeah, that's true. To no, get me to buy a ticket? I can look at screenshots online. But you couldn't do that at the time. You couldn't do that in 1981. We did not have pornographic technology in 1980. We just couldn't do it. Just you had to wait for a it. magazine of sh- screenshots of Harrison Ford to come in the mail in a manila envelope. <laughs> Who's the time? Screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> of just not even, I mean, there's no porn in this movie. So you'd just be getting shots of Harrison Ford fully clothed. Did Maybe a also, third button undone. Brody uh, comes up and is like, is talking about, you know, he hands him some, other items he got and Brody's like of course the museum will buy them no questions asked and it was always like no questions asked that's a good point (laughs) I didn't even catch that you motherfuckers Uh, he did mention uh, Marcus says uh, the international treaty of preservation of antiquities he mentions this and I was like is the treaty take stuff from brown people and put it in our building and I don't care what you do don't tell me and here's no questions money. asked. I don't here's want to know money. how many Hovitos died to get these rocks. Um, it's not great. Hitler was really did have some like obsession with the occult, right? I think I it's exaggerated for this, but I didn't look into this. I don't know how much Hitler. I know Ronald Reagan did. Is that the same thing? <laughs> Although Ronald Reagan didn't look for the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know. Did, uh, he really? did you look into this? No. And now I wish I would have. <laughs> I thought that that was like part of like an actual thing, but now I'm realizing that's mostly, I'm getting most of that information from <laughs> Indiana. You realize that this is a um, This is not a documentary, it turns out. We're looking it up. I am, but you know where I ended up. Fucking Wikipedia. Yeah. I think uh, we just got to accept that we don't really know. Yeah, I don't know how much that is based. I, I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Okay. Well, I know we'll, you guys we'll are coming here for because we, you neither know, of us know shit about information. <laughs> neither of us know shit about what we're talking about. So, um, <laughs> power of God or something, he says at some point. Uh, power of God or whatever. Apparently, the reason Marcus Brody is there at all is to introduce him to these two guys from the government. Harrison Ford is kind of like the teacher in your elementary school who just had like a cart that she was just like walking down. She had an overhead projector in it, all her books. She didn't have an assigned classroom. She just had stuff ready to go. And so he's like, hey, I want you to meet these two guys. And so Harrison Ford just picks up a bunch of stuff, just (laughs) seemingly random, and just walks it over to To a a large lecture hall and um, just starts. And luckily had all this information about the Ark of the Covenant, something he didn't know we were even going to talk about. Right 
ready to go. In like a very old looking book. Yeah, very giant. I don't know if it was a Bible or just an unrelated book, but it was a giant book with a latch, like a fucking Harry Potter book. <laughs> and opened right to the, the page of the Ark of the Covenant, shooting lasers, killing all the Canaanites. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Has my favorite line, some biblical humor. Even mom can enjoy this. One of the government guys goes, good God. And Marcus says, yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. <laughs> oh, Marcus, you are the living end. Oh, and Marcus also. Marcus, I feel like Marcus is uh, my camp icon. That might be mostly based on his appearance in, in the third movie. Yes. But he does get some sassy quips in this one where they're talking about the history of the Ark of the Covenant. And they talk about how it may have been taken by a pharaoh and taken to the city of Tanis. And then months after it was taken there, according to legend, the city of Tanis was consumed by the desert, wiped clean by the wrath of God, is what Marcus says. I always liked that as a kid and would sometimes pause the movie so I could say it aloud myself. Wiped clean. Wiped uh, clean by the wrath of God. He also like, I, th I mean, we can talk about this more when we cover the third movie, but his character gets a little bit of a reworking because he's a lot more like, yeah, he's very professional and like one. professional and, and he's not like, he doesn't seem like grim or mean or anything, but like he's a kind of a doofus in the third movie. And it's funny. Oh, he's my favorite. Like, yeah. And I actually really like that. We'll, we'll get into it, but like, that's kind of not his vibe here. He's more just like a competent the museum curator. Yeah, he seems to be exposition machine, essentially. He's yeah, he's there Basil to sort exposition, of tell basically. us. He's Basil Exposition. He tells us about the Ark of the Covenant along with, with Harrison Ford's character. And then he's sort of in the scene at, at Indiana's house, he sort of lays the stakes of what's going right. on here. One, Nazis bad. Two, Ark powerful. And we also learn that Indiana Jones doesn't believe in all this hocus pocus. Uh, Power of God or the, something. <laughs> as marcus is sort of saying it's not like anything you've searched for before harrison ford grabs his gun and says ah marcus you sound like my mom you don't think i'm worried about all this hocus pocus and you know what a careful guy i am and throws his gun across the room into his suitcase like just that. like the nra would tell you to do i like uh you know what a cautious fellow i am i do it's like <laughs> a good line do you want to talk about the arc yet or do you want to get to that later? Let's get to uh, where we're going in order. Why not? Okay. Fuck it. So at this point, he decides that he is, he explains this to the government guys, but essentially he's looking for a sort of a medallion. MacGuffin? To get a different that, MacGuffin? To find the big MacGuffin. <laughs> this is a sub-MacGuffin. Yeah. MacGuffin A is a medallion. Eventually married Faith Hill. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We learn that there is a staff that would be topped with this medallion that it would take to a certain map room in Tannis, and it would show you the exact spot that the mm -hmm. Ark is buried. This is some Legend of Zelda nonsense. Why would you need this if you lived in Tannis? Wouldn't there just be a giant building that's like, Ark here? <laughs> why, why would you need to know where the Well of the Souls is if you hadn't already planned for your city to be consumed by the desert and wiped clean by the Roth God? Like, why, why would you make this crazy map? room how how convoluted was this city was it like france is was it like paris i remember going to paris and being like where the fuck am i every building looks the same when there's also like this preserved perfect model of the city um <laughs> which 
just that in of itself is is very odd because how long has that been there? Was this after? Did you build this after it was buried in the sand? Why would you build it? No, you have to build it contemporaneously with uh, the rest of the city. And it also make like raises questions like, are there other medallions? If I'm like just looking for the local bodega, do I have to get a specific <laughs> medallion on a staff of a specific height and be like, where is that place? Is this like proto like MapQuest, Google Maps? Yeah, like, yeah. Find nearest hotel, and then I just get a you know a five foot staff with yeah. a specific medallion with an emerald in the, the center to say ah yeah okay there's a you Holiday just, Inn around the corner Jake. <laughs> you just type in giant snake pit near me, and it <laughs> directs you to the next couple. Don't get me wrong though, as much as we are making fun of how stupid this is, in uh, I loved all of this. Oh, it's awesome. This, <laughs> this nonsense. I mean, it is. Uh, I could hear the sighs coming off of Tyler, even when he wasn't sighing, like (laughs) uh, some sort of aura version of sighing. But (laughs) I was like, yeah, the map room. (laughs) It is very much like a Legend of Zelda thing, which I also love. So, (laughs) Right. Laura Croft, show us where on the map we're supposed to go. Yeah. So how does this, from your experience as a former biblical scholar... I was a religious studies minor, so essentially I am an expert. Right. So how does the, what they've described of the arc so far, how does that line up with your experience of it? Um, Uh, My personal experience of the Ark of the Covenant? Well, your experience Um, of reading about it. It was hard to tell how many cubits wide it was. I wish they could have gotten a cubit, a cubit Mm -hmm. stick just so I could make sure that, because if... When after this movie ended, me and Tyler started, I grabbed my Bible, which was at arm's length. And by arm's <laughs> length, I mean was upstairs in the bookcase we don't use that much. <laughs> and I looked up the Ark of the Covenant, right? I had to unlatch it. <laughs> and I looked it up and most of the references to the Ark of the Covenant feels like in the Bible are telling me how big it is. Oh my God, you guys, <laughs> you need an editor. I understand this probably developed from an oral tradition, but once you started writing this down, you just have to tell me how many cubits wide it is once. I don't need to hear it every time Show you mention tell. it. Show don't tell. Because like they tell God saying like, okay, here's what I want you to do. You're going to be building an Ark of the Covenant, of course. I want it one cubit wide, one cubit deep, one and a half cubits across. I want you know the seat of I want the mercy seat on top with cherubim facing each other. Their wings shall be you know outstretched from each other, and then the like seven chapters later, it's like, and then Gregory starts making the fucking arc and he made it one cubic wide, one cubit deep, one and a half cubics across. I'm like, for fuck's sake, we already know how many cubits. <laughs> I'll tell you what I learned. In, um, and that's why I became an atheist. I was like, I'm not reading this <laughs> I'm shit. I'm not doing this. What really bothered me about it in uh, Sunday school when I learned is that- <laughs> When you all had to make your own arc? Well, is that it's like, I just learned that an arc is a giant boat. And now, (laughs) and now you're trying to tell me something else. I don't understand. I feel like actually you have unlocked a memory just then with me when I first watched (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark with my, with my kids or with my kids, with my parents. This is a future memory. (laughs) Oh, Chaucer, the name I chose for my child for some reason. Chaucer's How I miss you pre- preemptively. <laughs> I'm nothing if not pretentious. It's going to get beat up so much. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, 
he's also been raised by me, so I presume he probably acts a little bit like me. So, sorry, dude, was- you were fucked from the beginning. I couldn't. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to name you? Um, <laughs> there's no name to get you out of this. Just Chaucer and Zendaya. You're too. <laughs> <laughs> Zendaya's Anthopolis. What the fuck were we talking about? Oh, when I was a kid, I think I was like, what's the ark? Asking my mom what the ark was. And she said like something like it's from the Bible. And so immediately, like my first thought is the most child friendly book of the Bible. The one where the entire world ends and everyone drowns except for like five guys. (laughs) Except for two giraffes. So naturally like, where's the boat? And then I see this gold box. I'm like, fuck this. But there's nothing about people's faces melting or no, laser no, no, beams. No, 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 no. There are laser beams. And there's even just to show you what an asshole the Old Testament God is. At one point, the Ark is on like a wagon being transported and it's about to fall off. And some poor hapless Israelite is like, whoop, let me get that. And he grabs it <laughs> to stop it from falling. Guess what happens? Because God likes everything just so. Thank you very much. Please keep your hands off my box. Oh, you were trying to help it? Zap, you're dead. Sorry. Fuck off. For touching it? Yeah, you're not supposed to touch it. Even if it's about to fall off the goddamn truck. Hey, Tippy, come on in. Did you get that on my... (laughs) Yeah. She's like, you're screaming in here about about God. I thought you were going to talk about Noah's Ark. You're talking about some lame-ass gold box. (laughs) Are we going to get Tippy on cam? No, she's just staring. She's, this is so creepy. She's such a fucking creep. So my door was, she doesn't like closed doors in the house. So when I closed the door, I just like, you know, pressed it as much as I could against the door frame. Yeah. And then all I see is the door slowly opening and my computer is blocking where she would be. So all I see is the door slowly opening and all I can see is blackness because there is no, there are no lights on in the hallway. And then, you know, so chills go down my spine. <laughs> and then I see her looking at me and I'm like, come on in. And then she she's walked away now. She's not even in here. She just wanted to be a fucking creep. <laughs> okay, so Ark of the Covenant. So, so yes, I was disappointed yeah. it wasn't the famous Ark, the, the fam- most yeah. famous biblical Ark. So there is... Do they so there melting? are lasers. I don't know about face melting, but there okay. are, hey, don't touch it or God's going to kill you. Yes, even in an accident. There are no caveats. There are no footnotes to this rule. Don't touch the fucking thing. Why? Because it's just the Ten Commandments. Not even the original Ten Commandments. No, they are the original Ten Commandments. So they're the broken ones. The pieces they're the, of the broken, broken ones, ones okay, that gotcha. were written on by the hand of God. Okay. Okay. Rather than the second one. By the way, all I can think of right now is Mel Brooks as Moses... Coming 15. down from outside. I've got around you 15 com- <laughs> 10 commandments. <laughs> that is a very good bit. Uh, now all I'm thinking of is Joseph Smith being like, <laughs> <laughs> I've got the golden plates. No, you cannot see them. Don't At worry least about Moses it. had them, presumably <laughs> had commandments. Yeah. He went up for 40 days, even if God wasn't writing them. <laughs> At least he had something at the end of it. Right. But Joseph Smith's just like, trust me on this. They're in a hat where you just, store gold plates. Thank you very much. I have them here. That's just paper. This is I copied them onto this regular. Well, uh, if we could just paper. see the gold plates, then it would be evidence that you're <laughs> ooh, not. No, that's a no go, bro. <laughs> says says Joe Smith. 
Even his fucking wife couldn't see him. Well, because, yeah, because then it was an addendum later that he would get more wives. Yeah, because it um, ain't a chick. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get it. He added that. So The golden plates were the original Star Wars where a husband explaining like, oh, you wouldn't. It's not for you. you it's a understand. me thing. It's canon. This Can we can. go back to me? I think we've skipped over Marion with well, me before, screaming about map rooms and the Ark of the Covenant. Or I do you want to talk about the Ark some more? Before we talk about Marion, I do want to talk about the first appearance of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Wook and goo in a Sioux, as I like to say, which is wearing a suit to get on his airplane looking real fine. Oh, yeah. It's got the nice because he had his professorial, you know, tweed with the elbow patches. Not a bad look. Oh, don't get, not, no, I mean, of course. But not quite the level of gangster, nice fedora, you know, the like. His formal fedora, his, his, formal his dress blues <laughs> for the plane ride. He was looking good, double-breasted suit. He does have his, his formal fedora. You can meet the queen in it. I, yeah, you can doff, I like that. You could do doffing. You can doff. You can, if you're flummoxed, you can sort of push it up with your thumb and just sort of, Oof. you know, wipe your brow a little bit. Oof. That's a nice one. Or if you wanted to catch some Z's on the plane. Like he does. Just bop it, pop it on. 45 degree angle over your eyes. Versatile. It's a verse. It's a verse hat. Mary, <laughs> moving on. Sorry. Well, just... we also, in that, we meet one of the most famous characters from the entire quadrilogy, mm-hmm. the red line of travel. Yes. Uh, in that scene, one of the most famous icons from Indiana Jones. And I like that they've stuck with it no matter what. Yeah. I also like that when it's on a plane, it's a straight line. In Indiana Jones 3, they're in a car. It's very much more windy-windy. Yeah. Submarine also gets windy. I like it. I don't know why. It's it's, it's just a little nice. thing. I also like old maps of the world. Yes. So I do appreciate them French flying Indochina. over French yeah. Indochina, <laughs> landing in Palestine. It's just fun. Maps are fun. That's why I love the map room. They are fun. I do. I do like it. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, so he lands in Nepal. That's where yeah. the red line stops. Mm-hmm. Not the red line in New York. I don't know where that stops. Coney I mean, you Island. you get there, but you got to, you got to get a blue line and then you got to go underneath the Atlantic Ocean. Pacific Ocean, my friend. Pacific. Oh yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Which means you'd also have to go over the entire continental United States. I was thinking going from, I was going from New York. So I guess I was taking the extra long way. Either yeah, way, it's you, pretty far. Is the canal, the canal would be there. So you could take it through the, uh, you wouldn't have to go all the way down past South America. You can go through the, the Panama Canal. Yes. A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. That's true. That's probably the best way to get from New York to Nepal <laughs> mm-hmm. via imaginary subway line. <laughs> so Marion is running a bar. Yes. Nepal owns this bar, I guess. Her father, we find out in the scene with the top men, with the government men, is Abner Ravenwood, who was, I guess, the mentor to, yeah. to Indiana Jones, the way I gathered. This is what I, here's the what way I, I gathered. What? This is what I made up in my head. This is not Indiana head Jones cannon. cannon. The, the kids hold this, this head, cannon. head cannon. This is head cannon for me, is Indiana Jones was in his like, doctorate or grad school with Ravenwood as his mentor. And he met, of course, Ravenwood's daughter, Marion, who was an undergrad at the time, in my imagination, just because (laughs) otherwise it's gross. Mm -hmm. And they had a relationship and Ravenwood didn't like that because it's his daughter and Indiana Jones is a bit of a cad, maybe. He's a cad about. Yeah. Maybe he just didn't like any her his dating daughter dating anyone. 
that's what I imagine. And then eventually they break up either because Indiana Jones just wants to be a rambling man or maybe he was <laughs> trying to honor Dr. Ravenwood or whatever. But for some reason they break up and, and Marion is very mad. That's what that's what happens in my head. Not she's 15 and he's 25 because fuck that. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say your head cannon lets you sleep at night. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's not explicitly yeah. said that anything gross, but he she says I was a child. Now we can say that it was figurative. Yeah, I don't think she's a literal yeah. child, but she I mean she references 10 years several times throughout yes. the movie. Mm-hmm. So presumably they had some sort of sexual relationship 10 years ago. And I don't know how old Karen Allen is in this, but I mean the vibe I'm getting is she's mid 20s. Yeah. Which would make her mid teens. <sighs> Yeah. I'm going to say she's 28. And he's, he's, you know, 35. So Mm -hmm. it was definitely, you know, on the edge of Of, problematic. She was young, you know, and he was an older, he should have known better. And she was just a starry eyed undergrad. Again, I'm just saying, I'm putting that in the, in the script. It's not in there. There is, uh, and this is um, just IMDb, so I don't know how true this is, but it says she's 25 in the script, apparently, according to IMDb, which makes that a real problem. And I'm just going to say, first of all, I don't know if that's true anyway. Even if it is true, it doesn't make it into the movie, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? They don't say right. in the in the movie, so you can kind of, it leaves it like they broke up. You know what I mean? And she was young, right. and it's, that's why she's mad. That's all that so really my head matters. Cannon, but yeah. My headcanon is yes, he fucked please. a teenager and um, <laughs> Abner Ravenwood, her father, did not appreciate it. And they had a falling out because, you know, uh, Indiana Jones is a goddamn creep. Hard to be on Indiana's side in this headcanon. <laughs> he does marry her <laughs> by the fourth movie if, if you want to. Oh, spoiler. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, spoilers for a 14-year-old movie. <laughs> Okay, so she even if you marry yeah. that that fourteen year old movie later, it's still not good. No, still still a problem. Still inappropriate and criminal. Yeah. You fucking creep. I hate when you have to like do that math. I mean, I love doing age math because <laughs> it's a fun thing because people don't expect you to do it, and then you think about it for a second and you're like, as soon as I hear two different ages or different years, I'm always just trying to figure out what age everyone is. That's like. I thought that was normal until one of my friends was like, pointed out that it was weird that I did that. Because I would always be like, that means he was 31. You know, like, <laughs> <I was just laughs> like we had a, a gig once this, I don't know how interesting the story is, but we, we had a gig once and the planner, the coordinator had to take us somewhere else on the property in a golf cart just because it was too far away. And while she was talking, she was like, I met my boyfriend 10 years ago, um, 24 now, and I was 19 then. And I was like, that's not, you were not, that's not 10 years ago. I just like said it. I couldn't stop myself. I like said it out loud to this woman <laughs> we were working for. I was like, that's not 10 years. And she's, she just kept talking luckily because. Why I, would she, I mean, did she actually put them that close in? Uh... Those were not the numbers, but she said numbers that just weren't correct. They were like, did not add up. And she was like, we've been together for 10 years. We, we were married for four. And before that, we were together for nine. And I'm like, that's not, that's not 10. Like, like <laughs> uh, people are creeps. Yeah. It's... How hard is it to not fuck a teenager? 
when I was a teenager, I wasn't fucking teenagers, despite <laughs> what I really wanted to easy do. For me. <laughs> I've never, I've never done that. Actually, to be honest, I've never had the opportunity to do that. <laughs> uh, Mary, my favorite thing about Mary. Okay, so she's a Spitfire, right? Oh um, yeah, but also apparently she reacts exactly how I would re- want to react if there was a monkey on my shoulder, which is cute. What an adorable creature! <laughs> Puts her its hand in her mouth. Yeah, its monkey hand. And while she's saying, what an adorable creature. And then the, I think Sala's wife is like, well, then he's welcome in our home. And she's yeah. like, don't do that on my account. She's so nice. I want to hang out with Sala's wife. She, she gets does like seem, two lines. Yeah, she does seem really nice. Um, and all of the kids are very adorable. Yeah, Marion Marion is, I actually, in this viewing, I had a lot of, not a lot of trouble with Marion, but I kept like vacillating between she is a spitfire and she's written yeah. that way and Karen Allen plays her that way. But then the movie sometimes is just like, okay, now nah, we need you to be a damsel in distress now. And sometimes it seems like it's trying to subvert that. Obviously, probably playing into the old tropes from these right. older movies and serials. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm just like, no, but now she's just acting like a damsel in distress. And- Seemingly completely helpless, even though we know she is not. Um, she does that thing uh, that I hate in Damsels in Distress, where no matter the situation, she just keeps yelling the hero's name. Yeah. And I'm like, you're tied in a basket. What makes you think? And being run like by men who are carrying that basket elsewhere. What makes you think Indy can even hear you? Right. And there's, and then later well, when that, she accidentally case, is trying to- it actually does work because she like waves and yells Indy and he sees her. Right. I guess you're right. She's more effective than Indiana Jones in getting that arc from the Nazis. One of her plans actually works. But then later when she's trying to remove that Nazi from the cockpit, when they're trying to stop the arc from being flown out, she yells Indy uh, while she's trapped in the cockpit, while he's in the middle of a fight with a giant burly WWF style Nazi. And I'm like, what is he supposed to do right now? I thought you were a spitfire. Figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it was very few and far between. I, I, I mean, Marion is my favorite of all the the Bond girls, mostly because my second in the running is a secret Nazi. So, I mean, she has to be my favorite. But there were a lot of times in this, especially when she gets dropped into the snake pit. And not that I don't want to falter for it because I probably would act the same way in the giant exactly, snake pit. She's yeah. like crawling all over Indiana yeah. Jones, who has a, a literal phobia of snakes. And he's managing to keep it together, lady. But those moments are few and far between, but they, they did stand out to me because it felt yeah. like her character was just doing like a 180 and then she'd switch back to Spitfire mode. It does seem like they're kind of trying to have it both ways because like she, when she's captured and uh, who's the uh, Belloc, when she's in uh, Belloc's tent, she kind of plays up like he's clearly like crushing on her in a creepy captive way and she mm-hmm. kind of plays into it. She like, you know, we've, we get foreshadowing before when she we first cut to her at the bar she's like drinking this guy under the table and then she does that to him she basically like can has right, just, seemingly has no effect on her so she <laughs> i was amazed like when the, in that first scene where she's doing shots at the bar she just sort of takes a moment we see like at least 12 shot empty shot yeah. glasses in front of her and she just sort of walks to the wall sort of rubs her temples and then she's good to go yeah and ready to fight nazis i guess <laughs> like five minutes later the scene with belloc is interesting because Indiana Jones stumbles upon her while he, after he finds the map room, he stumbles upon her tent. And That's she says, up, right? 
It is a fucked up scene. I don't hate it necessarily. I think it shows that he is, he's sort of singular minded. And she says they're combing while he's like untying her. She says they're combing the whole desert for you. And he realizes like, if he takes her, they will know he is around here and it would blow his entire scheme. Right. And so he leaves her there. There is some like, I mean, the fucked upness now that like registers with me is like, you seeing a woman tied up in a tent, you don't know what the situation is and you're leaving her there. I don't think the implications were intentional, but it is like, it's icky in retrospect. And she does drink Belloc under the table. And that's part of her scheme. Like that's her spitfireedness coming out. And her plan is to like drink him under the table and then just leave as he, you know, once he passes out. She does seem to genuinely like Belloc, which I uh, I feel like complicates things in, in a fun way. Like it right. makes him a little bit more interesting. We get a fun scene of him not being like a Bond villain, but like actually genuinely connecting with someone in a fun, like playful manner, even though he's a Vichy Nazi sympathizing fucker. But then she runs into Tote, who I don't think his name is ever said in the movie. Yeah. But he's the creepy guy who burns his hand on the medallion and is genuinely, genuinely like fucking creep. And also has that cool uh, folding nunchuck hanger. <laughs> that was a pretty good bit. It's true. Um, I think I, he's I, almost, he's almost, in terms of iconography, he like is the anti-Indiana Jones. I feel like they sort of use the same tactics to like establish his look in this movie. He has a black trench coat, a black leather trench coat on top of that, that I'm like, dude, you're in the desert. Why are you wearing this? It's should be wearing out. seersucker or linens, something light, something breathable. He's creepy. He seems to breathe through his mouth a lot. He sweats a lot. Um, he has a really weird hairline when he briefly takes off his hat to dab his sweat. Um, he also has a medallion burned into his hand that they've used to like replicate the medallion that they weren't able to get from Marion. He's fucking creepy. Very. And when they fail at the end, he laughs, which is like... It's inexplicable because he probably will be killed for his failures by the Fuhrer if the Fuhrer ever found out and if his face wasn't melted out by the power of God anyway. But it adds to his creepiness and that like in the face of like failure, he just laughs like yeah. just pure chaos creepiness. I like him. Not like like. I don't like him. I like him. I love to hate him. <laughs> One more thing on Marion. So the other thing that's kind of frustrating about her is they set her up as independent and then also kind of all she cares about is you know being with indiana like there's like moments of you know the sort of just trying to escape the situation but like she's also like kind of i don't know immediately goes back and i could also kind of see the realisticness of this of like this is someone that's like from her past and she like kind of falls back into the sort of lovesick late teen in my head canon um <laughs> um you know, but because she like, she's like very independent and is like making it on her own and like fights off. But then also she becomes, like you said, damsel in distress kind of thing. And she kind of like falls back into that and is like, you know, it's a little frustrating. I, I see what you're saying. I didn't take, I, my interpretation of her in Mongolia is not necessarily, I mean, she is making it and she seems to have a community there, but she says at one point, like you stranded me out here in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And she talks about wanting, I think, I think at some point she references wanting to get back to the States, but couldn't because she was out here with Abner on his like stupid 
you know, search for all these trinkets and stuff. So the vibe I got is that she was stuck out here with Abner. He died. She had no way to get back home. And she's sort of like, she just basically, you know, started tending bar or started running this bar in some way. So the vibe is not only that Indiana Jones broke up with her, broke her heart, but also by leaving abandoned her to, you know, just being at the whims of her father, who I guess his expeditions she wasn't as passionate about. So the vibe I got was was not that she is sisters are doing it for <laughs> themselves, but rather goddamn men who have abandoned me and left me here. I think because I think the vibe I get from her, she does fall. She once she gets to Egypt, she's obviously very much smitten again with Indiana Jones and they're mm-hmm. having a sort of flirty relationship. And it's going both ways. But when she's in Mongolia, like the way she phrases it is like she wants her fucking money back that he promised her, the $5,000 he offered her for that medallion, 3000 right. of which just got burned up in her bar that burned to the ground. And I think she's seeing him as her ticket, her ticket out of out. here. You're, right. I'm your goddamn partner. I think that's very literal. I am coming with you to get out of here. Yeah, fair enough. I feel like that isn't played up as like because they start to have this no yeah, yeah. flirtation. It just it kind of goes immediately into the romance part of it, which I understand. I don't know. I don't have like a better suggestion, but it is a little bit. Yeah, I kind of want to see more. You know, you want to see more of the sort of like true independence uh, aspect of it, as opposed to the sort of damsel in the love interest. But yeah. it, it's also like I mean, it's a trope of this sort of thing that they. I feel like they, Marion, thirty five percent plays against it, subverts it, and sixty five percent just does it in a good way. Like she does it well. Both like both parts of it, Karen Allen does well, but it's like, you know, just spicy lady. She is a spicy lady. I think though, I wonder if maybe that was the place that pop culture was at at that point, because I think yeah. also of Princess Leia as yeah. a little bit also in that mold, in that she is Agreed. oftentimes being, you know, trapped, kidnapped, and put in a metal bikini. But sometimes she'll also strangle, you know, a Tatooine gangster on his pleasure skiff. But, you know, a lot of times she is also just, you know, in a room with the the rebel generals and saying, we're five minutes to the Death Star. We are 4.2 minutes to the Death Star. She's just sitting there watching. She doesn't get to be necessarily part of the action as much as the boys do. So I wonder if that's just where we were in... No, integrating right. women into the stories to the late seventies and early eighties. That was a subversive and against type role. Yeah. And I don't want to give it too much of a pass, but I just think that maybe have been where culture was. Well, and this, this is subverting. Yeah. For it's, you know, for a room full of uh, 99% men creating this and writing this, that's like, yeah, she's a tough cookie, but I mean, she's going to need me, you know, like that's the, right. she can't do this herself. Yeah. Um, this- she does shoot that one henchman in the back of his head and she blows smoke in Tote's face. I did like, I feel like we're bouncing all over the place, but I did like there's one scene that I think this is also good comedy from Indiana Jones where Indiana is struggling with one of Tote's Nepalese henchmen and they're fighting over a gun and Tote has lost patience. So he just goes, shoots them, shoots them both. Mm-hmm. And they both like they work together to shoot the guy who was about to shoot them. Yeah. It's just a funny little beat. I like yeah. it. This is a known, you know, we were talking about the history of the arc, but another uh, just historical fact, little known fact, all monkeys are secretly Nazis. 
I've so always said that. And they I reference this in the movie because the little monkey does a little. If you've ever read it. monkey literature, it <laughs> and I have. Mm, there's some some references that I'm like, oh, I don't know where you're getting these numbers, buddy. These numbers? What am I? It was the blurst of times. <laughs> there's a lot of fun fight sequences in this, and there's a lot of sort of awkward, like the bar, the whole bar fight sequence where the bar catches on fire, and like it's funny because I can. Before watching this movie again, I could probably like play back the major beats of it in my head just because it's iconic, but it's very awkward as like a stunt, as a stunt thing. Like all the punches are very like very old serial, very telegraphed, (laughs) which is fine. Uh I know that's like the, the style, but it was very awkward in ways that the rest of the movie is not because in contrast, like the, the Cairo street fight where they're. They're fighting in all these different corners of Cairo and like going around corners. And then there's like these, you know, there's vendors everywhere and there's people coming out of nowhere to fight. And then there's like the big baskets, like the one that Marion's in. And it's all, I like, that is like pretty masterful, that whole thing. That's shot real well, which makes me think back to the fire and the bar sequence and go like, why was that so weird? (laughs) But it's just, I don't know if I noticed it this time, but. I did notice there is a weird beat in that bar scene where I guess they've lit some of the spilled liquor on the bar on fire and it's slowly making its way to Indy. And uh, one of the henchmen, one of the goons is pushing him down on the bar. And he says to Marion, who's crouched behind the bar, whiskey, like almost like Roger Rabbit, which we just watched. But he says whiskey. And then she hands him a bottle of whiskey. He bashes it over the guy's head. But like, what was the guy doing? Was he just so concentrating on the fire? Right. He didn't notice that the guy was discussing things with his ally in the bar fight. <laughs> it's odd. I didn't mind that scene as much, but th- that was one beat where I was like, "Wait, what is he supposed to be doing? What? It was lots what's of going on here?" Like that. They were just kind of like very theater, you know, theater fight scene vibe. But like that w- scene in Dick Tracy where he punches like three guys at once, <laughs> and it's just like across their face. <laughs> yeah. And Madonna's singing. Who is feeding the snakes that are living I have in this? this on my nose. I, I, I don't know how to attribute this. I mean, it's a very effective scene. It's very... It's, it's very creepy. Willy, willy, heebie-jeebie nonsense. But yeah, willy it does like... Willy, heebie-jeebie. <laughs> who is feeding these snakes? Am I just supposed to assume that like, is God feeding the snakes? Because... <laughs> Is he handling that? Are they just eating? Are they fucking at the exact uh, ratio so they can cannibalize each other and not lose population density? Like how's... At one point, they, you know, the way that Indy finds the way out is the snakes are like coming in this hole. Yeah, there's a a wall with holes in it. Yeah. And that's where they must be coming from. But like, why would the snake, why are the snakes coming in there? And, it's right. not and like then it's, he like he crashes a, a column through there, and then there's barely any snakes in there. I'm like, I thought this yeah. was the source of the snakes. Yeah. It doesn't matter. This time watching it made me go like, why would all these snakes be in there? Other than <laughs> it's creepy as hell, which is the answer. It would be creepy as hell. But also like the, um, I guess that giant statue that he ran through the wall didn't belong in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> right she's fine sorry Horace I need you to bust through this wall yeah and I guess it's not a load bearing wall or load bearing Horace either because it just, <laughs> just it just comes loose real quick yeah asps very dangerous very dangerous you go first Sala son son of Gloin yes 
Salah. I like Salah. He does, I mean, I've already said he's portrayed by a Welsh guy. I feel like that's important to note. And he is sort of like a comic relief character, essentially. He's not a fraidy cat. He's not not a fraidy cat, though. He seems kind of like just like, even though he's this big burly guy with a loud voice, he's just like a normal guy. Like just yeah. helping his friend, which he doesn't have like superhuman. He's not afraid to jump in, but also he's not like superhuman like Indiana Jones is. You know, he's not right running under cars full of Nazis, <laughs> giant <laughs> trucks full of Nazis. I like him though. Indiana's scared of Snake's face that he does. I can't do it right now, but it's like, like. Was that when he's face to face with that Cobra? Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Harrison it's Ford. a very effective scene, even though I know there's a plate of glass there. It's very effective. I mean, the whole, it's great. I love it. Probably wasn't great for the snakes. No, they had to keep bringing snakes in. They like, I think they originally said, just get us like a thousand snakes or something. I'm making up the numbers. But once yeah. they put the snakes in the space, they're like, well, that's not a lot of snakes. And more they snakes. like ordered more snakes. And I think there's even some legless lizards, which are yeah. a type of lizard that is not a snake, but has no legs and is a reptile. They're in there. And then eventually they were just cutting up hoses and throwing them in there um, because just to fill out the room because, uh, you know. Not enough snakes. Once you get enough snakes, Steven Spielberg and not enough snakes. <laughs> we had all the snakes were like probably like slithering off to the corner because they're like, why would we hang out in one writhing mass in the center of the yeah, room? Why? <laughs> hey, we're just doing our own thing over here. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is ludicrous. I did appreciate, I mean, this is again, I think probably a deconstruction of the tropes, but as they're realizing the arc's about to be like carted up on a plane, I think Sala just basically asks Indiana point blank, like, what's the plan? He's like, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite lines. It was very, very Indiana Jones. So, okay. So when they, so the, the Nazis escape with the arc and he gets on a boat with Captain Katanga? What is yeah. this guy's deal? Why does, like, we're just introduced to this new character, and he's, it's set up like he's going to be more to the story, it seems like, to me. where Because he's like, he has this kind of grand introduction, they say his name, and then he's like, yes, you'll come with me. And then he's just like, for a minute, and then you'll just go on this U-boat, and I'll be on my way. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It didn't bother me, but I think that might play into the sort of Republic serials that they're referencing. Because I feel like those would like, you'd have one scene or one episode that takes place in this one place. And then the next episode would take place in a new place. And then this would be the episode where they're on the boat and the Nazis catch up with them. And then we never see them again. Like it's it's always in these episodic sort of- motions and so yeah he is one of those characters that i always forget that they're in fact the last third of this not that it's bad but i always forget i'm like there's not as much iconic stuff in the last third of it once they finally rescue the ark and get it on that boat i'm just i always forget some of those elements and i always forget about katanga but i like katanga um i also like katanga's second mate is my favorite of the the boat guys (laughs) because There's this, it's very awkward, but it's awkwardness I find endearing beyond measure in that they're, they've lost Marion. The Nazis have come on board, taken the Ark, taken Marion with them. Indiana Jones successfully hidden himself. And the second mate comes up to Katanga and says, 
we can't find any trace of Indiana Jones anywhere on board. And Katanga says, well, he must be here somewhere. Look again. And instead of going to do that, <laughs> the second mate just sort of looks off into the horizon and he says, I found him. And Katanga says, where? And <laughs> the most enthusiastic childlike point to this big brawny guy points and goes there <laughs> and then that's when we hear the indiana jones music <laughs> kick in yes. and we see indiana jones on top of a u-boat and then luckily for him it cuts to the next scene where we don't have to go wait how did he survive the u-boat <laughs> yes yes they did but yeah dive. that that is my excuse for the katanga portion that makes sense i mean that's better than anything else i could come up with in my head because i was just like it seems like they're setting this guy up to do something and he doesn't do nothing. Like he does, he doesn't like break. He doesn't betray Indiana Jones, which would have been really easy. This and he tries to save Marion from <clears throat> being handed over to these guys yeah. in a lecture. I mean, he doesn't do it purposely lecherous, but he plays into a lecherous yeah. thing. Like let us say, have the girl so we can, you know, Save yeah. us some money on he's this play, thing. He's play acting as a bad guy. So that and then the Nazis, in pure like arch villain mode, is like, "You do not have the right to, uh, you know, make negotiations. We will take yeah. what we want, and then we will decide later whether or not to blow your ship from the water." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Okay, sir, you're about <laughs> to tie her to a railroad track in the middle of the ocean. Somehow, you're the most evil villain of even evil villains." We do feel though, like- at this scene the uh, get the best part of of the boat, which is the like little playful love scene with him and Marion, which is very good as he's healing from his multiple wounds. And she's oh, so many him. wounds. It is very cute. It's Harrison Ford, very pouty and, you know, bratty a little bit, but to his credit, he has just survived a huge fight on a, you know, a truck convoy, which I would like to go back to, but he, he does give his famous line. It's not the, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Yes. He yeah. does get bashed in the face with a mirror accidentally by Marion, who is flipping a two-way <laughs> mirror, hits him in the face. Very cute. Yeah. It's a very cute, playful love story. He falls asleep before things happen. Although she does, in the morning she wakes up and she's not wearing her, her negligee. Yeah. So apparently he woke up healed like enough s- to go to town. Yeah, it seemed like something happened in the in the nighttime. I did want to talk about that convoy scene, if at least for the very little bit that it always reminds me, ah, yes, Mercedes-Benz was complicit in the Holocaust. Thank you for reminding me, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. He didn't want you to forget. He's like, that Mercedes-Benz logo at the front of the truck is always just in frame. So I'm reminded, ah, yes, you made cars for the fucking Nazis. <laughs> Lest you forget. Also, did seems like Indiana left his whip behind. It Not does his seem car, he, his he left whip. his his whip, and he. I don't think we see it for the rest of the movie, so that makes yeah. sense. He also leaves once he gets on the U boat. He loses his fedora and jacket. He loses those behind, so we never see him in those again either. Guess we'll He's never probably see got like again. six or seven back home. Yeah. Though, don't you think? Like a Superman but, situation. Absolutely, just a closet full of that outfit. <laughs> Um, that convoy fight though is, I mean, it's really good. Yes. Yeah. It is very, it's And I usually hate car chases. I'm usually bored out of my mind by car chases, but it's a car chase mixed in with a literal fight as like, he's driving a truck with the arc in it, but there's Nazis in the back of the truck. So they're coming out from the back of the truck, like fucking cockroaches climbing down the sides. And eventually the final guy climbs over the top. So Indiana Jones can't see him. 
It's so good. And all the, the head Nazis are in the Rolls Royce in front of us, looking behind them, watching the whole thing as Indiana Jones simultaneously is trying to run them off the road and all the other trucks in the convoy off the road. It's so good. It's a good scene. Also, a, v- a very clear homage to like the, you know, Conestoga uh, wagon, you know, serial stuff. Like he's, you know, does the iconic like he's hanging by his whip and dragged along the yeah dragged along the ground and r- approaches by horse like he sort of like almost like a, a bandit in a western he approaches by horse and you know climbs on to the side of the truck mercedes-benz truck and, and then also the, my favorite part is when that guy gets the final guy gets run over and yeah. he has almost like a wily coyote <laughs> he gets run over he tries so indiana jones like gets thrown through the windshield at one point And he crawls down the grill of the truck, underneath the truck, sticks his whip into the innards of the truck and gets dragged along behind and then climbs back over the truck into the driver's seat and beats the shit out of the guy who kind of looks like Paul Hogan. I was always distracted as a kid that he kind of looks like Paul Hogan. You're beating up Crocodile Dundee, why? Uh, Well, Crocodile Dundee is a transphobe. We already covered that in our episode on Crocodile Dundee, so toss him out the truck. But then he does the same to this guy, to Paul Hogan, um, and he tries to do the same thing, but he the grill breaks in his hands and he gets run over and it's almost so, I mean, it would be gross if it wasn't so silly how he gets run over his limbs spring up. And then when the back wheels run over him again, it does it again. So he's like a little, like, I don't know, stretch Armstrong dollar. It's, it's weird. It's so silly that I, I love it a little bit. (laughs) And you remember guys, a Nazi. And then you're like, fuck that guy. <laughs> and he's, he looks older. So you can't even like be like, oh, well, he was an 18 year old, like forced probably into conscription. Like, no, this guy's a career Nazi. Fuck this guy. Yeah. He's in it for the long haul. The only other like action thing I wanted to point out is so later he's, he is kind of sneaking in to the Nazis and like he, <laughs> does the classic thing where he beats up a soldier and then takes his uniform, but it's too small. He can't, his uniform is too small. And then another soldier comes up and just starts berating him. For his appearance. Yeah. For his appearance, not recognizing that he's an intruder, but just thinking he's has an ill fitting uniform and is disheveled and laying on the ground. And, and then he, he like kind of takes it for a second. And then just like, you just see him like, punch or kick off screen. You don't see actually what he does, but the guy They were sort of over the shoulder of the berating officer of the yeah. Nazi officer. So we're just seeing Indiana Jones like respond to him, like grabbing his suit lapel. Yeah. And then he, Indiana Jones starts combing his hair and, and then eventually punches him or kicks him in the stomach. Well, he kicks him and then the hat like pops up into his hands. <laughs> I really like that. It's it really good. good. It's a good. Bit. It's a very funny bit. So let's talk about faces melting and then we can wrap up. Yes. Yeah. Really gross <laughs> that's uh it's, every indiana jones movie i feel like has to have a creature bit so you yeah. have snakes in this one we can return to this in the later ones but each one has a creature scene and then each one has a gross end scene and this is the creatures were snakes and this is our gross out ending scene the power of god comes out of the the ark of the covenant at first i mean it is it is fun they open the ark of the covenant and they do it in what full. Are the ghosts? What are they? Israelites? I don't know. Canaanites um, being like, remember when you wholesale slaughtered us? 
<laughs> so Belloc like dons the traditional like priestly vestments mm-hmm. described in the Bible that you would use when you're alone with the ark. I mean, he has the breastplate and the ephod and all, you know, the diadem and turban and all these things. And the Nazis, at one point, this is actually one of the few moments where it a little bit pays off. Like, it doesn't feel like the Nazis are just like, ah, throw some Nazis in this story. Yeah. It feels like there is like an irony to having Nazis seeking out this like sacred, authentically, yeah. exclusively Jewish token, this Jewish, you know, find, and trying to use it for their explicitly anti-Jewish campaign of world domination. And the, what is his name? Gerard, yeah, I can't the, remember. The Dietrich, I'll assume, is like, I am having, I am having, I am uncomfortable with this Jewish ritual. He's getting more Teutonic as I try and do a German <laughs> accent. And I mean, Belloc, to his credit, is like, do you want to open it in front of Hitler and find out for the first time? Now, again, this would have been a good time for Indiana Jones to be like, hey guys, why don't we open in front of the Fuhrer? Like in, in right. the background, like put yeah. it in everyone's ear and then just go home and let the Israelite ghosts kill all the, the Nazis. But instead, we only buy. Well, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. No, of course not. Right. Yeah. Except he does know to not look at it. Yeah. They didn't really reference that before, like that you couldn't look at it, which I thought was weird. Because I I assumed that earlier in the story, that would just be part. When he brings out his book around the G Men, it it seems like that would have been a good time to be like, yeah. And even if you look at it, don't touch it. And if it accidentally opens in front of you, don't look at it. Well, Yeah. yeah. I mean,. I don't think, I mean, even in the Bible, I mean, the only people who are supposed to be alone with the uncovered Ark is the priest, the high priest. You can't just, I mean, otherwise it's supposed to be covered at all times when you're traveling with it. You would cover it in either cloth or animal hides. And then you have to keep it in the tabernacle once you make camp for the night. You have to keep it in a very specific tent to, you know, keep it away from everyone. It's very she-she arc. Not anyone can get into this arc. You get a bouncer outside. It's tent controlled. So anyway, controlled. Yeah, it is, there is, I mean, there is a little bit of a, how does he know? Why, why can't we look at it? Maybe the, the, the ghosts, the biblical ghosts inside the Torah ghosts are like, as if they have their eyes open, kill them. Eyes yeah. closed, leave them alone. You're Passover cool. rules here. Let's go. But it is a creepy scene. Like they open it and there's just sand inside of it. Tote, as I said, starts laughing. And then it starts glowing. And their their equipment, because they're filming it, the Nazis are filming it. Their equipment starts squealing. And then there's a weird, like creepy, which if you ever hear that in a movie, that's bad. It either means you've been exposed to radiation and you're about to turn into the Hulk or the wrath of God is about to come down. And then all these ghosts come around, shoot through the eyes of some of the lesser Nazis. They're able to recognize who's in charge here. Um, yeah. They shoot through the eyes of the lower tier Nazis, melt the faces of the two B-team Nazis, and then blow up the head of the French backstabber. Which they had to cover with the MPAA was like, you cannot have a man's exploding head just <laughs> not out for a, there. Not and for so they a had G to put rating, that my fire, PG rating. That fire in front of yeah. it, which makes it even weirder. And then I do like the uh, the lid flies off into heaven. And yeah. then once it's done, it falls Zoop, down. Comes back. In a very, another comedic beat. It's just like, bum, bum, 
lands yeah. on top of the ark perfect. And God's like, get out of here, you two. <laughs> you're good. And their hands are just like untied. Like, <laughs> you're the good ones. You're all right, you two. <laughs> now go put this in a military warehouse for the next hundred years. <laughs> go put it in the, on the hands of the U.S. military where nothing could go wrong. The morally exemplary U.S. military who's never done anything questionable, never napalmed anyone, never started endless wars. It's fine. Yeah. So there you go. And then, of course, the famous top men put it in the, the thing. Oh, yeah. The we'll top never man. see it again until movie yeah. four. Yeah. You think? We'll go to the verdict. Let's do it. Let's carefully carry the verdict on long poles. Did you bring two poles to carry the verdict yes. to where we need it? Always. And did you bring your priestly vestments? Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. they're around. I mean, it's simple. It's I'm in my home. <laughs> the holiest of holies, as I've called your home. Damon. Yeah. What is your point? I didn't see you there. I thought you were a ghost. Hey, guess what? What? There are some plot holes here. There's some age chicanery with uh, dating uh, your mentor's daughter but this is a pretty good movie it's a great movie some might even call it a modern classic it's Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark fuck off like what do you want me to do there's I mean there's definitely a lot of stuff that'll make you make the oh, emoji face Marion's age when you piece it together do the old DJ math out loud and 15 I mean, she was 15 God damn it, she was 15. <laughs> but she punches him in the jaw so it all works out and of course of the way the people of color are just sort of like a furniture in this movie, it feels like, with the exception of Sala, but even Sala is a little more than part comic relief, part exposition machine. I do like Sala. I like John Reese Davies. Maybe yeah. get an Egyptian to play an Egyptian, though. Right. You know, there's Egyptians. It's not a mythical land. You can just go there and hire <laughs> one. But You're in a Child is not an idiot. I forgot what I'm supposed to say during these things. <laughs> You're in a Child is not an idiot. This is a great movie. Some parts didn't age well, but I mean, it's still a really fucking... I mean, the thing about Spielberg, even as much criticism as you could lob at him, like he knows how to fucking make a good movie. Even his shittier movies are fun because they're well-made and he knows what makes a great, especially adventure movies. He knows what he's fucking doing. Well, even when like, you're watching Tintin. It's still yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't make a, a top 10 list of not good overall Steven Spielberg movies, but always remember always. Yeah. But the craft of filmmaking is something he that didn't make the craft. He, he, he wasn't buying the craft. He didn't make that one. <laughs> you talk so much. Let me I'll talk mute, a little I'll bit. Mute my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, an excellent director, no matter what, like he knows how to make you, feel what he wants you to feel. He wants you like when the characters, he does the, you know, the classic Spielberg thing where characters are looking off screen, like behind the camera and making you, you know, building tension to what you does, all that stuff brilliantly. Harrison Ford's great. There's a lot of problems with this movie. Like this is probably, I think this is the oldest movie we've ever talked about. This is like a, despite being a very big part of our childhood, this was, came out before either of us were born but it's such a big part of the 80s like growing up in the 80s like indiana jones was huge because the other movies you know kept making it bigger and bigger 
So not only does this have like the 40 plus years of that baggage, it also is paying huge homage to even older movies. And so you've got that baggage of yeah. treating people of color a certain way, treating women a certain way. So there's lots to complain about. This movie's great. It's great. It's so fun. The cast is really good. It's fun. It's a fun adventure. I do think it drags a little bit in the third act, if we're being like really, really picky about it. Some of that stuff that you we were talking about, like forgetting about, which I did too, where you're like, oh yeah, there's a whole Yeah, I mean, it, it is the thing. weakest act that lasts. Yeah. But I mean, that's, it doesn't make it, it doesn't ruin the movie. Like it's still good. The melting face thing is really gross, but it's also like really fun to see Nazis get their faces melted up in one way. So you know. Yeah. You're in a child is not an We idiot. can't have it now. Might as well have it in a movie. <laughs> might, might as well live through it in a fun adventure series. <laughs> Bullet point. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not bad. Not bad at all. You not heard bad, it here. Stevie Spiels. For the 6,000th time, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark is great. What do you think, everybody? Email us, yourinnerchildwithanidiot at gmail.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail, 615-576-0525. You can find us on social media and stuff. Uh, you can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash yourinnerchildwithanidiot. We want to thank our current patrons, including... John Day. Jeremy Powlin. Lindsay Alice Halleck. We've been saying Jonathan Day for years now uh, because he's been a longtime supporter of the show. It's very hard to say John. But it's true. You. And we could have saved so much time in the runtime of these podcasts if we've dropped those last two syllables. <laughs> Larissa Maestro. Karen Kurd. Heather Telgol. Travis Vance. Demons Street. Flawless. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Lindsay Nell. The Hands of Fate. Dan McIntyre. Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon. <laughs> the elusive fan Grumkin. Shit on the cartouche. Josh Frigo. Funnily enough, the cartouche is also specified in Exodus, how to build the cartouche. Oh. Do not shit on it, it says. In <laughs> so, blasphemy. Where were we? <laughs> Dramatically placed hot dog. Dramatically placed hot dog. The supreme ruler of this podcast. His honor, the mayor. Beth Sermont. David Mort. Just cuz. Scalphosaurus. Dr. Malcolm's, uh, heaving bosom particle man t smith and the zesty thank you all very much we really appreciate your support if you want to support like them patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot and now damon will measure his room in cubits as i play him out with the in and energy the room i'm in uh well uh it's probably like a four cubits over here, five cubits here. It's an oddly shaped room, and Yahweh wanted it this way. He specifically specified that he wanted it semi-trapezoidal shaped. So we've got a slanty bit over here. That's probably seven cubits. That part is a load-bearing cubit, so that you have to keep there. That's sort of a walk-in uh, four-square-cubit closet, which is kind of fun. We put a little um, bookcase in there. Um, it sort of allows us a little crafting space on top of the, the bookcase for, you know, how many, you know, for wrapping gifts, how many cubits of wrapping paper do we need to wrap each gift. I'm getting lost um, in the B section of this song. I don't know what to hum you next. <laughs> if you're not careful, you eventually start singing the Superman theme, and yeah. then you have to, like, uh, backtrack a little bit. And I just went, Maria, 
I don't know why. <laughs> That's Sondheim again. <laughs>